0: Well, if you have a Bible, I going to invite you to turn to the Book of Genesis, chapter twenty-seven. We are going to continue in our series on the Book of Genesis, which we started back in January, back when things were different, and we'll get to that in um, just a second. Oh, I <laughs> earlier this week, a couple of people who go to our church sent me <laughs> te- texted me and said, "Hey, I got this weird email from you." And it turns out it was a, uh, a, some, a spam account had created, like l- had basically created a dummy account with my name on it, with, it. It said Pastor Rob Carmack, which by the way, if you ever get something and I've called myself Pastor Rob Carmack, you know, it's a, a fake. I don't, um, I'm not comfortable giving myself titles. So um, anyway, so if, if you got that email, so the email w- was being sent out to people and it was basically asking for people to send gift card numbers to uh, to Pastor Rob Carmack so that they could be distributed as Pastor Rob Carmack saw fit. Um, that was not for me. That was, it was a spam account. Somebody, uh, it's, it's weird when someone uses your name and job title to create a spam account and try and scam people out of whatever they're trying to scam them out of. That was a little bit weird and disorienting. And then after I read the email a couple of times, just deeply offensive because it was so poorly written, that was actually my, my greatest concern was that uh, this person, not that they were scamming people out of money, but that they were writing so poorly and sending it to people who know me. So if you got that, uh, I hope you didn't send them anything. It wasn't for me. And uh, if, if you get one of those again, just please know that that wasn't for me. So anyway, uh, so the story we're looking at today, weirdly, is a, kind of about identity theft. So it's, it's weird, like when you're in the middle of preparing to talk about something and then something that just happens externally. It's like, oh, here, here's a perfect example of this kind of thing because, uh, someone used my identity fraudulently, um, and to who knows what, what level of success. And it turns out I'm looking, we're doing a story today in the book of Genesis that begins, with kind of that kind of activity so that that is it's a weird it's a weird parallel that that just sort of happened that way but anyway so we're looking at this story last week we we started uh, we kind of entered into this section of the book of genesis where we're talking about these two brothers jacob and esau who are the sons of isaac who was the son of abraham who we spent lots of time talking about so isaac or i'm sorry jacob and esau are the grandsons of abraham and one of the things that we've seen all the way back to genesis 12 is the story of abraham is, at its core, a story about what does it mean to be a blessing to all other people? What does it mean to go into the world and bless others and to make the world a better place? Not just for myself, but for other people who could use some amount of grace and peace in the world. So that's what the story of Abraham centered around. And so now we've moved into the story of Jacob and Esau. And one of the things that we saw kind of quickly last week when we looked at the story about the soup and the birthright is that the sort of the, the, the central question here is about identity, it is about like, what does it look like when we're kind of reaching for who who it is that we're we're supposed to be versus like, what is the thing in front of me right now? And that, that was sort of the central question around that story. So now, in Esau, what we saw is Esau, who's the older brother, uh, and Jacob, who's the younger brother. So Jacob kind of bargained, kind of scammed Esau out of giving out of his own birthright his like inheritance basically uh for a bowl of soup and so now these two these same two brothers are in the middle of a kind of a, a similar conflict not exactly the same conflict but a similar conflict but now it's going to involve their father so in Genesis 27 we're just going to read through the story so in Genesis 27 It says, when Isaac, who is their father, says, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So basically, Isaac, who's blind, is saying to his oldest son, who is entitled to a a blessing, like spe- a specific eldest son blessing. So, first of all, th- there is this is a birthright blessing that is not the same thing as the birthright. So, because we might be thinking like, wait, 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 like Esau already traded off his his birthright. Yeah, birthright is like your inheritance, like all the all the actual like tangible rights of the firstborn. The blessing is a different thing. A blessing is the belief. In the ancient Near East, there was this 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 notion, this belief that when someone was to offer a blessing, what they were doing is speaking some kind of new reality into existence. The idea is that they were they were try, they were were saying something, whatever it is that they would say would have the power of creation into it. This is why it's so important in Genesis one, when it says, and God spoke and God's words create new life. So it's, it's there's this blessing that creates some sort of new life. And so when Isaac says to Esau, I'm gonna give you my blessing before you die, what he's saying is, I'm going to speak some sort of new reality for you into existence. And so it's not just hollow words. The, the belief in the ancient world was that th- these had the power of life and death. And this, this is a specific thing that fathers would do for their eldest sons before they died. So then it says, now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Rebecca is the mother. And it says, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to uh, his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to, to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. In other words, like, look, while your older brother is gone, we're going to trick your blind father into giving you a blessing instead. You know how you like to trick elderly blind people. Like this is this is what the story is about. So it says um, it says Jacob said to Rebecca his mother, "But my brother Esau is a hairy man, while I have have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him, and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Which it actually has like major implications. A curse is like the the." The other side of the coin from a bless from a blessing. It was basically like if somebody curses you, that the belief is also like that will come true. Like that that also has the power of life. So like Isaac's fear isn't like my dad's gonna say some mean stuff to me. It's like what if what what if he figures out that it's me and he curses me and that like ruins my life and, and the lives of like my grandchildren or whatever? So uh, so the stakes feel very high. So so his main concern isn't like, is this wrong? His main concern is we'll never get away with it. Um, then in verse 11, it says, Jacob said, um, I'm sorry, I already got to that part. Then um, in verse 13, his mother said, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. And it's already been established, by the way, that Rebecca it, like Isaac is Rebecca's favorite and Esau is Jacob's favorite or uh, Isaac's favorite. Sorry. So that's why like Re- Rebecca wants Jacob to have even the stuff She wants Jacob to have even the stuff that Esau is supposed to have. So then it says, um, So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and, and the smooth parts of his neck with the goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and bread that she had made. So... Again, like this is full blown, like we're gonna, just, he's gonna, he's disguising himself in, in such a way that his blind father can't, can't tell that it's, or hopefully at least, that's what they're hoping, that he can't tell that he's Jacob and not Esau. So before we start taking Jacob's side, because a lot of times these stories get told and Jacob is sort of initially framed as the hero of these stories. And so before we start reading this and taking Jacob's side, let's remember how much we hate it when someone, like, uses our identity for fraudulent purposes. Like, if anybody's ever hacked into your social media account or, and started, like, used it to, like, try and sell, like, diet pills or something like that. Like, you, remember how frustrated you felt. <laughs> Just imagine it's your it's your twin sibling and they're stealing, like, your blessing. Like, that that is, th- there's a certain amount of darkness to this. And so, um... And, and, and and Rebecca knows it. Like they, they they don't have to, like they're, they're going to a lot of effort to try and hide this, to try and subvert this whole thing. So then in verse 18, it says, he, Jacob went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son. He answered, "Uh, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked him, How did you find find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to, uh, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Isaac's got a feeling like something's not quite right. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him, and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy, like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked, I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to, went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that, that the Lord my God has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's rich, richness, and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, which, by the way, be Lord over your brothers— Yikes! He probably didn't mean that for Jacob. Um, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. So he got away with it. He fully got the blessing. So then, like he he leaves. It's almost like a Marx Brothers movie. Like he leaves, and immediately Esau shows up. Right after it says he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father, Isaac asked him, who are you? I am your son. He answered your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too. Bless me too, father, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So as a kid, whenever I heard the story, I was like, just say it again. What difference does it make? And and the and the difference is like you can't just speak the same reality for two different people. The belief is like, no, 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 the blessing I had prepared is out there already. It exists. I can't just like like call it back. It's, it's out. So, um, so anyway, so he said, your brother came deceitfully took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? In other words, like, did not you use my name when you said the blessing? Um, this is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Which, it, which, I'm sure Isaac is like, yeah, I did. And I said it already. So Isaac answered, I have made him lord over you. Like, dude, like the ship has sailed here. I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives, I'm um, sorry, made uh, made him lord over you and made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. So like Esau is understandably very upset. And then if you jump down to verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So it's like basically he, he, not basically, he outright says, as soon as my parents are dead, I'm going to kill my brother. So this is Godfather Two level uh, violence and like bad. <laughs> like there's, I, I should have had a, a better word prepared than just bad, but bad. So this creates a major rift. Clearly, this creates a major rift in the relationship between Jacob and Esau. So Esau vows to kill Jacob and Jacob runs for his life, you know, normal stuff. So, so then, now we have to kind of fast forward. So all of this has happened, and it begins with a deception. It begins with uh, with, with someone fraudulently, um, or with Jacob basically going into his father and pretending to be somebody that he isn't. So then, years later, Jacob has lived a whole life. He's married, he has kids, he's been tricked a couple of times by his own father-in-law. So he's, he's got some experiences under his belt. He's, he's grown, he's matured. He, he's older. He's lived a life um, in, in which he, he hasn't been living in the shadow of his father and his brother, and he's, um, he's grown. He's matured, but now later on if you jump over to Genesis 32 He has to reckon with the pain that he's caused because this this moment has actually like left deep wounds That that have kind of festered and have left a deep scar uh, so now he has to reckon with all the damage that he's done. And so he's about to face Esau for the first time since the whole like identity theft, blessing mishap happened. And he's really dealing with himself. And so there's the scene in Genesis 32. Um, in Genesis 32, verse 6, where it says, so they're, they're all on the move. And it says, in verse 6 it says, When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau. And now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him." So you have, so if you're Jacob, and you haven't seen Esau for a number of years, and the last time you saw him, you stole his blessing, and he like threatened to kill you, and you had to run for your life. And so now it's years, years later, and the thing that a messenger tells you is, okay, so Esau's coming to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. I doubt what Jacob is thinking is like, oh, cool, he's bringing 400 men with him. I bet he just wants me to meet all of his awesome new friends. Uh, no, J- what Jacob hears here is, your brother, who has vowed to kill you, has an army, and he's coming to find you. Like, this is um, this is really scary, I would imagine, for Jacob. So then, so Jacob kind of has a, a moment of reckoning. Like, he really has to kind of deal with himself and all the things that have led him to this moment. And so in Genesis 32, verse 24, it says, um, it says so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not... Which is, by the way, super weird. We have no idea. Like, this man has just, like, appeared out of nowhere. And we're going to... Actually, we're going to come back to this story in a couple of weeks, because this story is really important, and it it deserves more than one week of attention. But it it connects so tightly to the story that we already looked at, where Jacob uh, deceives his father, that we have... Like, in order to fully understand what's going on, we have to connect these two stories. So... So it says, so uh, when a man saw that he could not, I'm sorry, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not go unless you bless me. So Jacob, once again, is asking someone for a blessing. And then in verse 27, it says, the man asked him, what is your name? Okay, this is very familiar. When's the last time Jacob wanted a blessing from someone and that person asked him his name? This is all an echo of a thing that we've already seen. So it says, the man asked him, what is your name? And he answers, Jacob. Jacob, uh, I'm sorry. And then verse 28 says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. But Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and have overcome, which again, like there's so much going on here. We're gonna have to spend more time on this story later on. But for now, what we need to focus on is there are lots of these mirroring images between the story where Jacob goes and receives a blessing from his father under a false identity and this moment here where he asks someone for a blessing under his true identity. So Jacob is visited by a man whose identity is obscured, like his own identity was obscured the last time he saw his father. Jacob asks for a blessing, and the person he asks to bless him replies by asking Jacob, what is your name? But the parallels stop here because Jacob does not answer with somebody else's name. The last time someone was going to bless Jacob and he asked him his name, Jacob said, my name is Esau. But here, when he's asked his name, Jacob says his own name. He replies by answering with the truth. This is a big deal. In in the arc of the story, this this is meant to tell us something about the journey of Jacob and who Jacob is becoming and and what what this means for for who he is and and how he sees himself in the world. And, um, And so what you have now is you have a story of somebody who earlier in life was seeking a blessing under a false identity, under a false name, and now is seeking blessing under his true name. But then, as part of the blessing... Jacob tells, uh, the man tells Jacob that his name won't be Jacob anymore, which seems a little frustrating, right? The whole thing, the whole story from Genesis 27 to Genesis 32 is Jacob figuring out who he really is. And sort of like the reckoning with like, my name is Jacob. I am Jacob. And then finally he gets to a point where he can say his own name in response to a blessing. And the blessing is, okay, that's not your name anymore. (laughs) So like, okay, this is very disorienting. So so the man tells him, okay, your, your name won't be Jacob anymore. It's, it's almost like the message here is in order to be the person you were created to be, you first have to acknowledge and deal with the person that you already are. Jacob couldn't say his own name initially when he was looking for a blessing. And so the journey towards this moment was trying to get to a point where he could say his own name. And now he can say his own name, and it's like this, this man, this messenger, this figure who's about to bless him says to Jacob like okay now that you can say your own name now the story starts now Now we're now we're getting somewhere so and by the way in the ancient world and we're I mean we're kind of quibbling over like the actual like the name the, the thing that people call you in the ancient world though your name wasn't simply what people called you it was a symbol of your like true identity your core look at uh Proverbs 22 in um Proverbs 22 verse 1 it says a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So the the message here is, and again, it's not just like you have a, like a good name isn't just like a really cool thing that people call you. It is how people see you. It is not well, not not even just how people see you. It's like who you really are. It is like to to be a person of integrity and and a person who is capable of blessing other people and kindness and to be who you were really meant to be like that is that is so much more valuable than anything you could ever like put in your pockets then if you um if you jump back over to proverbs chapter three verse three it says uh let let love and faithfulness never leave you bind them around your neck write them on the tablets of your heart then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of god and man so here it is if if you are a person who shows love who is kind who who acts like in in accordance to who you were meant to be then you will have it says you will have a good name in the eyes of god and man in other words you will be who you were always meant to be your name isn't just what people call you it's it's who you are there's in in lots of um uh, other like ancient mythology and folklore there's this notion of um a, what's known as a, a true name like you, have, you you have a name you have a name that people call you and then there's this there's this inner thing that is often referred to as, oh, but this is your true name. And your true name isn't, again, it's not just the thing that people call you. Your true name is who you are. Like when all the pretense and all the, all the outer layers and all the, all, all the fear and all the anxiety and all the, the posturing, when all that stuff kind of gets peeled away and just who you are at your core, like that's, that's your true name. And so this is a story not just about somebody kind of reckoning with like what his parents named him when he was born. This is somebody who's trying to discover his true name. This is somebody who's trying to figure out, who, who am I really? Like when you peel back all the layers, who am I really in this world? Jacob's entire journey is about identity. It's about the question, who am I and who, who do I want to be? Who was I created to be? And in pursuit of those questions, he lies, he steals, he pretends to be somebody else, he defrauds his father and he has, he, he does lots and lots of damage in, in pursuit of, of a thing that he thinks he is or that he wishes he was. And the whole journey is, is him kind of peeling back those layers and kind of getting, getting down to a point where he has nothing left other than to say, like, oh, okay, yeah, my true name is Jacob. My true name is, is this is who I really am. And then, and at that point, that's when the messenger says, okay. Now that you can say your true name, now that you know where you started, now that you know who you really are, now we can get to work. Now we can actually, you can actually become who you were meant to be. So we can do a lot of damage when we don't know who we really are. We can really hurt people when we are in pursuit of some other identity. This is, I mean, this is the gospel for enneagram. I'm, I'm an enneagram. If you if you know the enneagram, I'm an enneagram three. That's the Anyway, uh, the Enneagram 3 is, if you don't know, is often referred to as the achiever, sometimes negatively referred to as the performer. And uh, no one that I grew up with would at all be surprised that that is those are the designations that uh, that, that I've been given by the Enneagram. Um, but what what that is is basically it's this it's a it's sort of internal message that I carry around with me all the time, which is, my value is wrapped up in whatever the next thing that I do is, like whatever my next accomplishment is, whatever the next item on the checklist is. That that is where my value that is where I find my value. And so it is if I measure my own value based on my biggest accomplishments and what other people say about me, or what kinds of blessings people are speaking about me, then I will do anything to get more of that. And when I say anything, a lot of times when we are unhealthy and we're kind of in the place where Jacob is at the beginning of the story, yeah, we'll hurt people. We will, like, you will, like, we are capable of doing unbelievable amounts of damage. We will alienate whoever we need to alienate if we think we are um, in, in pursuit of something that we see ourselves as or something that we're entitled to. and. If I measure my own value based on whether or not other people respect me enough, or how like well dressed my kids are, or if I know enough information, if I if I can win like enough arguments, or or if I have enough power, or if if I look the way that I think I should look. If if those are the things that I'm using, if those are the names that I'm trying to, to give myself, then I can do lots and lots of damage to other people in pursuit of that identity. I can I can I can I can end up doing lots and lots of violence to people because they're standing in the way. You know what I mean? So Jacob but and, and so now so that's been the journey of Jacob and he's had I think kind of had to reckon, reckon with and realize like like I like there there's been some some real bridges burned here and and I'm I'm sure like he's super afraid of whatever Esau's gonna do when he catches up. But um, so he's kind of coming to this point where like he has to learn how to say his own name. That's the only thing he's got left. And and the thing is, in this moment, Jacob can't control most things. Jacob can't control what's going to happen with Esau. Whatever ja- whatever Esau has planned with the four hundred men, Jacob that's out of Jacob's control. By the way, spoiler alert! Like further on, because we're not going to get to like this actual scene in Genesis, they do reconcile. Thing- things go okay. Things go way better than than probably anybody would have expected them to. Um, and Jacob, like Esau does not end up killing Jacob, which is great. Um, but Jacob can't control that. The the outcome. Is out of Jacob's hands. He can't. He cannot make Esau forgive. He cannot, he cannot make Esau show him grace. He can't go back and undo the damage he's done. He can't make his father love him. But Jacob can say his own name. He can acknowledge who he is. He can start there. If the only thing he's got left is the ability to say his own name, that's a start. And so now we are thousands of years removed from this story, trying to figure out, like, what do we even do with this? But how relevant is this? Like, how how often do we find ourselves sort of in search of, of a thing that we we want to see ourselves as or, like, we we wish we were or that we're entitled to? And, and so we have, like, this way of interacting with the world where we're kind of constantly reaching for either forcing people to see us a certain way or forcing people to give us what we want or doing all sorts of things because, like, we, we want – we want a name that we feel like we're entitled to, so to speak. And so, but but then the question becomes like, yeah, but who are we? If we peel back the layers b- before we're all those things, what, who are we? So take a look at uh, Ephesians chapter two. I look at, I, I, I go to Ephesians two a lot because I find it really instructive, especially for those of us who have sort of been given a like performance anxiety, like imposter syndrome way of sort of seeing the world, which is, that a lot of times we feel like we have to do certain things, like we have to accomplish certain things, or we have to like behave in certain kinds of ways before we can sort of be validated in, not just in the eyes of others, but in the eyes of God. And what we have in Ephesians 2, I think, is this really powerful reminder from this writer Paul, who he writes this letter to this group of people in a city called Ephesus. And one of the things that's interesting about the structure of Ephesians is he writes this letter to this early church, and it's six chapters long, and it takes him three chapters before he ever gives them one bit of instruction. There's no instruction. There's no like now you got to go do this and now you got to go do that. The first three chapters of Ephesians are all descriptive, and they're all like in. Um, if, in just looking at Ephesians chapter two verse eleven, just, we're going to look at a little excerpt. But the whole, the whole first three chapters kind of rhyme with this a little bit. So in Ephesians two verse eleven, it says, "Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, or not Jewish by birth." and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and, for, and for foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he uses lots of the outsider type of language. Like he talks about, um, you were excluded. He talks about, you were um, formerly this. By birth. And now he's saying, but now you are brought nearer. So he's, he's saying, yeah, I, I realize like you have been taught to see yourself in this one particular way as outsiders, as not welcome, as not good enough. And now he's saying, but here, the, the thing about this whole thing is you, you're, you are welcome. You are part of this story. So then in verse 14, it says, for he himself, speaking of Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. The dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one, and I love this phrase so much, He create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. In other words, like all the things you thought separated you from other people. Like, yeah, all that stuff, it's not quite as interesting as the thing that we actually are, which is one new humanity you're a part of the new humanity and that's in and, and thus making peace you're a part of a story it's about newness and peace and inclusion and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit like all of Ephesians 1 2 and 3, centers around this message of yet you possibly you've internalized this message that you're not good enough and that your name isn't good enough but your true name when you strip it all down your true name is you are welcome you're part of the new humanity you are reconciled you are you are good enough you are loved so we are brought near we are a new humanity we are loved exactly as we are what is your true name your true name is i am one who is loved and that's where we begin. A lot of things have changed in twenty twenty. That is the understatement of the day. It's been it's been a really disorienting year. Our customs, our habits, our ability to rely on normal practices, um, our our ability to just do things like to our ability to prepare to send our kids to school without any like be, beyond just like normal anxiety, our ability to attend weddings and funerals, our our ability to um to have birthday parties for our kids like all like so many things have been disrupted and have been have been lost at least hopefully temporarily and and like we've we've lost we've lost so much of the things that we once just thought like this is just part of the routine like who who it, a year ago if somebody had said like let me describe to you what august of 2020 is going to look like you would have thought you're describing the opening chapter of a dystopian teenage romance novel and like this is this is beyond Anything I think any any of our imaginations from even even just a few months ago, and so now we're here and we're living in it, and we have all of these things that we've lost control of that we I think most of us probably assumed we wouldn't have lost control of, and we have set in or not necessarily even lost control of, but just lost just like the rhythm of things. Like um, someone I know, there was a funeral uh, this last week, and I was not able to go, and lots of people weren't able to go because of the limitations of having a funeral in the middle of a pandemic. And so a lot of things have changed and and, and a lot of things have been lost. And I, I again, it's incredibly disorienting and, I, and I'm sure for a lot of us, we're, we're feeling like we've kind of lost our footing and we've lost sort of our grip on whatever it is that felt stable and normal to us. But the thing, and this is the thing that I'm continuing to have to reckon with myself. So like please don't please don't hear me say like I've got this figured out. This is this is me talking to myself and thanks for listening in. But but something that hasn't changed is your name, your true name, who who you are and who you were created to be. And the fact that you are loved exactly as you are. Your true name has not changed. You are not what other people say about you. You are not your greatest failures. You are not the things that you accomplish. You are not the things that you are and are not getting to do right now. You are loved. You are welcomed. You are accepted exactly as you are. Your true name is one that you don't have to hide from others. Your true your true name is not something that you have to conceal. And so, May we internalize this as we, as we prepare to try and resume a school year. May we internalize this as we just go about our lives. Um, as we interact with people and we're trying to sort of find our place in, in all of this, may we remember that that we, we have a true name and your true name is not, again, it's not what other people say about you. It's not the things that you are embarrassed about. It's not the things that, um, that you wish you could change. Your true name is you are loved exactly as you are. And that's where we start. Once, and once, we st- once you can begin by acknowledging your true name, well, then that's where it gets interesting. That's, that's, that's when the story can get started. So may you, may you find your true name. May, may, you, may you recognize your own value and your own worth. May you not have to conceal who you really are from yourself. And may we go on a journey in which we are able to say our true name and become who we were created to be. Let me pray for us. God, we, we acknowledge all the different ways that perhaps we can do damage when we are in pursuit of another name, of another identity, of a thing that we feel that we are owed or entitled to, or that we wish we were, or that we wish other people believed we were, and may we instead allow those outer layers, may we allow that pretense to slip away, and may we simply begin from a place of, I am loved, I am accepted, I am welcomed. And that's where the story can begin. Thank you for making that a part of the story and help us to acknowledge that that is where our stories begin. And as always, may we end this service streaming feed with more grace than we had when we, than when we first logged on. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.